You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric. Eric, I'm so excited to be here this week and connect with you again. I love these discussions. I think uh, if anything, even if we don't have anybody listening, it does good to my heart and soul to be able to connect with you and uh, have these discussions, work out some of these um, life issues as a missionary. So before we get started, how is your week? How are things going with the Johnsons? Well, as you know, in the mission field, it's always exciting, but we're very blessed to have this week. For the first time in two years, our Bible conference, or what some might call like their fall revival, we had three wonderful preachers from the Capitol come and share God's Word. And I praised the Lord last night uh, after two uh, nights of a good, good uh, amount of people coming. Last night we had a full church, and uh, the Spirit of the Lord was there, and we saw a lot of great decisions. So it was a great week. And, uh, you know, in real life, my father is in the hospital with COVID and not doing so great, but thankfully this week he's uh, started to rebound. So that's part of Mission's life is... Uh, Dealing with things present in front of you and things that are far away. But boy, I tell you, this week has been also a great spiritual week. How the Lord has just met our needs and given us peace uh, that passes all understanding. So I I also am very excited today to continue talking about missions and chronologically going to one of the most fun times of ministry. Yeah, I always found it. I I find it weird. I mean, I I don't feel old at all. I'm not even 40 yet. Okay. I'm still, I'm still a spring Uh, chicken. All right. But I get called, I get called now a veteran missionary, which is just strange to me, but we're going to talk about the first term. All right. When we were rookies, just getting to the field. What's the experience? What was it like? And so we went back in the time machine to really go back and and bring up some of those memories. Some are great memories. Some are not so fun memories. But we're going to talk a little bit about what is the first term like? What are some of the adjustments you make? What's the experience? How should you approach your first term? And uh, we're going to start off, Eric, do you remember what, what were your first few weeks on the field like for you? Now, I'm sure you took a survey trip and this, this podcast won't be about that. This episode, we're going to talk about you. You knew you were going to the Dominican Republic. You knew where you were going, but now you're living in the Dominican Republic. So what what were those first few weeks like knowing that I'm on the ground now? We're here to stay. What was that like for you and your family? Well, for us, it was certainly very, very exciting. Now, it's funny you mentioned the survey trip. I was just thinking back before we started recording and adding in my mind. I believe we took I personally uh, went on six different trips to the Dominican before I got there. So I had spent a lot of time in the Dominican, but it's amazing how different it felt when we purchased that one-way ticket and got off the airplane for the first time as permanent missionaries. And so first of all, it was very, very exciting because of the many years of uh, training and preparing and then the last couple months of packing before we got there. So that was the very first thrill was like, wow, we're finally here uh, in the Dominican Republic as missionaries. Uh, The second feeling was one of probably, I would consider, nerve-wracking. Because when we first got here, we shipped a container. And for those of you who've ever shipped a container, that is a very nerve-wracking process, really on both ends, uh, the preparation side. Uh, But also, especially when you get to the field, and the unknown of how much the cost will be and the fear that and angst that would be there if uh, you're being taken advantage of by others. Uh, But however, we were very, very blessed to have a, a wonderful Christian lawyer who helped missionaries out and really was able to resolve everything in two weeks, which 
Here in the Dominican, I'm not sure in other places, it was a miracle. It was really quick, uh, very economical. Um, practically everything was exonerated. So that was very nerve-wracking for those two weeks. But once we got our container and got, our home, got into our home, it was very exciting. Everything was fresh and new. And, uh, and even though we had spent a lot of time there, uh, it just had a different feel. And so for us, that was our feeling. Exhilaration, some nerves, and then just this everything is new. Now, how about you guys? I, I'm guessing you probably had a, a similar experience in some ways and different in others. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we knew what we were getting into. I knew since I was a freshman in college, I was going to Senegal as a missionary. My wife had a little bit different of an experience uh, and expectation going into it. She always thought she'd be a married to a pastor going back to her home uh, province of Nova Scotia. And so when she found out she was going to go to the desert in Africa, it was a little <laughs> bit of a shock for her. And we were able to make one short trip, just a couple week trip while we were in language school because she hadn't been to uh, Africa yet to Senegal. And then, yeah, landing on the landing on the in the country, knowing this is where we're at. We're moving in. Really, there's three words I use to describe it. Well, four words. Number one, sensory overload. Mm -hmm. Number two, exhaustion. And number three, excitement. Yeah. You're dealing with all those emotions. You're excited. Um, you're exhausted because of uh, time change. And then climate change. You're, <laughs> you're, we went from, let's see, we <laughs> left in September, I think, 9th is when we arrived from Michigan. So it's already the fall in Michigan, and we get here at the peak of hot season. Mm. And so we're at about 100, 110 degree Ooh. weather. And so we immediately, our bodies are trying to adjust and deal with that. We joked about, you know, gaining 40 pounds on deputation. I probably lost that much within the first few months wow. of being here because not only are we adjusting to the schedule change the temperature change but we're also adjusting to food changes everything was changing and so yeah you, you look at it a little bit differently you know knowing that this is where we are to live and so we better start uh you know cracking down and getting that serious about how things are going to work here and so yeah a lot of excitement a lot of exhaustion and just still taking everything in now you know going to the field when you raise support you had goals and expectations and those are important and necessary i think we need to be able to not only visualize you know what it is we believe god wants us to do we have to be able to communicate that so that our supporters understand this is why we're going to the field we need to be able to communicate it so we understand what god expects of us from you know scriptures and his command to reach the lost but when you get to the field, things change in how you approach ministry in that things you probably never mm -hmm. considered before now become a reality. What were some of your expectations and goals when you arrived to the field and, and how did they change? Maybe how quickly did they change before you, you know, how long before you had to adjust some of what you assumed would work? Because I found that sometimes there are things in your, what you do in ministry that not every missionary can really, you don't even, you change your approach um, because you're living your life in the culture now, but you don't really know how to communicate that change. They're just minor adjustments 
that you don't even know how to communicate maybe to another missionary coming. And so you don't know what to expect when you get there. You think you do, but then you begin, little things begin to change in how you approach. And so what are some things, maybe your expectations, uh, your goals, kind of your approach in general that you had going into the field and then during your first term, did anything change in what you expected or some of your goals and what you wanted to achieve? Yeah, well, I, I first want to meet a missionary who made all their goals before they got there and then accomplished them when they got there because I, I haven't met that guy yet. Um, and it is true. I think there is such a zeal and fervor, and probably you were like this and those who were in language school for a year just working on language school, chomping at the bit to get into uh, ministry and start your first church. You probably did like we did. I, I remember, in fact, Holly and I, we prayed about it, but the August before we, let's see, so the August before we left to go to the Dominican in February, so about six, seven months ahead of time, we, while in language school, made the commitment that we were going to start our church a year from that day. So, you know, we hadn't been in our in our country yet, we haven't met a single person in our town, but we're like, in August of 2009, we're going to start our church. And Part of that might have been because of the influence of some of the circles we were running at the time that really uh, uh, propagated that, we'll say. And there's certainly nothing wrong with goals. Um, but I think I am actually glad as I look back now that we made that goal because I think when we first got to the field, there are two, you know, there, there's one side of the coin, which is, you know, you really are, as you said, in sensory overload. And you have to, you have to catch your breath and understand what's going on. But I think also having that goal helped us push us towards a goal and what we needed to do with our time. And so we did start our first church that first August. It was about six months after we got there. And that really helped us kind of have a direction. But I had other goals too, you know, as far as thinking how many people would receive the Lord and how many people were going to complete discipleship after they began. And uh, let's just say those mostly fell by the wayside pretty quickly. And basically we became more, and this is how I say I would change my approach, Instead of maybe writing down what I'm going to do, I spent a lot more time going to visit other veteran missionaries. We were blessed to have a number of missionaries on our island, and I would go see their ministries and have lunches with them and go in their homes and really start to find out their experiences. You know, Obviously, every church is different, every town is different, every uh, sector of a city are different, but we started kind of accumulating what Dominican church life is like, what the expectation levels are, how to reach people, and that really helped recalibrate our focus uh, to have maybe more attainable goals, reasonable goals, and, and set our sights that way. And that took a little while. That wasn't something that happened like in the first two or three months. That took time getting to know these missionaries, spend time in their ministries, and then really helped understand that whatever ministry struggles we were having, experiencing, weren't unique to us. And I think that's really important to have friendships that way so that you can uh, not necessarily commiserate together because that can happen sometimes too with missionaries. They can get together and it can be negative. But it's more to understand the truth of the experience so that your expectations are not unattainable but ones that are reasonable. Absolutely, definitely. I would agree with that. You, um, you're going to have different vision. You're going to have goals. You're going to have expectations. Um, but so often... That'll get turned upside down on its head. And I think what what you said is so important that um, we, we did the same thing. There are very few missionaries in our part of the world where we're at here in northern uh, Senegal. But that being said, um, we would go out in our first term. I, I did. I would evaluate any ministry that was here. 
what what was working for them, um, what allowed them to, to maintain a long-term uh, ministry, how are they still here, you know, and so really our first term for us and I can say this with all sincerity. I, I did have a, I, I, I had a big vision. I'm, I'm excited about what the Lord's doing here. But in my mind, for me personally, I knew that our first term was going to be our learning term. And ministry-wise, and I have no qualms telling, pa I, telling pastors this and uh, telling other missionaries this, but my first term, I had zero expectations of any ministry establishment establishing of any ministry of seeing any goals attained our goal was to learn the language and adapt to the culture i remember speaking to early on i, I was speaking to um a young man here who eventually became our pastor malik job who's the lead pastor of our church here and we were talking early on and one of the things he said really stood out to me and i think it it really solidified that the way we did our first term was the right way that we came to learn we came to grow now some some missionaries are put out there and and put into the situation like you were where you are going to launch out into the work in your first term and get a church started in your first term but you maintain that learning spirit which never goes away um, any missionary that is going to stay on the field for a, a long extended period of time mm -hmm. is always learning, always keeping that spirit of openness, of learning. At least I hope they would, you know. Um, but that being said, sure. we were really here to learn, uh, you know, find out what was working, what we can implement. And uh, Malik Job, he said to me, some of the missionaries he had worked with in the past they had come to the country, done a tremendous job, preached the gospel, saw souls saved, and uh, saw work for God established. But then when they moved on to other ministries, he said they rarely stayed in contact with us. And they, it was almost as if this was almost kind of a stepping stone, maybe. And I, he wasn't trying to be critical. He was very grateful for the missionaries he had worked with in the past. He was giving the impression that it was almost like they were here to build a ministry and not invest their lives for the work of the Lord. And I determined at that moment as we had that discussion that I'm not here to build a ministry. God's going to take care of that part. I'm here to plant my life, to build a life here. And I think if that's going to happen, then that first term is essential in how you approach cultivating, learning to live within the culture that's God's called you. Because if you launch out into ministry too quickly without taking the time to learn the culture and the people as you are building your life in the country, uh, then ministry can kind of take the place of building a life there. And you can get a ministry going, you can put up a structure but then at the end of the day, if you're not making a personal connection as an individual missionary, it's going to be harder, I think, for you to stay on the field longer. And so I think it's important to balance those two out if you're in a situation where you launch directly into ministry. We were involved in ministry, but it wasn't 
um, you know, we were working under another missionary. And so I would just say that, yeah, for, for that first term, so important uh, to make sure that you're learning, you're growing. Yeah, and let me, let me add on this because I'm old and I forget things. So when you start talking, I remember things now. Um, originally, our plan, I might have mentioned this in a podcast before. I, can't, I think I did originally. We were going to be working with another veteran missionary. And I do believe that is if the situation is good for your family and it's a worthy church planning missionary to be under, I think that is generally the best idea. Um, it just didn't work out for us. It was originally our goal. And then another thing I was going to add is as we met with other missionaries who were on the field, some of the best advice I ever received was to, when we start our ministry, don't start three services a week and two outreaches and full bore because you're not ready for it. And there were missionaries who had burned themselves out and said as much. And so that through... And that's one of the themes I have in some of the other messages is, is interacting with other missionaries. You will learn from the, the positives and the negatives and listen to them when they talk to you. Don't think you're going to be different than they are. And so if they give you that advice, it says, hey, start a Bible study first. And that's what we actually did. I didn't mention that. Before we started our church, we had three months of Bible study. Now, some of the other advice I got was, well, start the Bible study Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Because guess what happens? Three months later, you just say, we're not a Bible study anymore. We're church. And so we did that. And so all that was advice we got from other missionaries who had been there, had, had taken the hits. And so I just really want to encourage you And that first term, if you have good missionaries to listen to, listen to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think you make the, the point you make there is so important. You have to be willing as a missionary, and this is part of learning to live on a foreign mission field, and this is going to help you stay on the foreign mission field. You have to be willing to adjust when plans change. Plans change, mm -hmm. but God's will stays the same. You made plans to work with a missionary. It didn't work out, but you mm -hmm. stayed on the path that God had given you with an open spirit of learning in humility. We were planning on working with a missionary that I knew we would have connected with, we were going to get along with. It was I was so excited, and we were just about to leave, and he called us and said he was coming off the field. And so our pastor even asked us, are you still going to Senegal? And I said, well... I mean, it's still God's will. God's leading us there. That's not going to change. And so right. you have to learn to adjust to those changes without becoming, you can't get so set on plans that you think that this is, this is God's will for your life, the plans that I make. God will change those plans. Mm -hmm. You're there to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And I really believe with all my heart, right. we're going to get into the next question here about first term. But part of being a Christian being a witness. Jesus said, ye shall be witnesses unto me. He wasn't calling them to be witnesses. That's by nature what you are when you're a Christian. Right. When you're, when you receive the Holy spirit, when you're born again, you are a witness. That is your nature. Uh, you're going to be a witness of Christ. And there's a parable that Jesus told about taking seed and planting it in particular fields. And Jesus said, the seed are the children of the kingdom. And Jesus, by his will and by his plan, he plants the children of the kingdom where he wants. And he said, I'm going to put Eric in Dominican Republic. Now, when you get planted there, how effective you'll be as a missionary, I think a big part of it has to do with how you learn to live in that field during that first term. Because we're going to get to it in a minute, but a lot of missionaries don't go back for a second term. And I think a big contributing factor to it is the big ugly word that 
every missionary will talk about culture shock. We're talking about plans changing, learning to adjust. When you're on the field, you're going to face what is defined as culture shock. Now, anybody who goes from one area of life and culture and transitions to another is going to experience transition shock. When you go from, let's say you move from Michigan to California, okay, you're in the same culture per se, but you're going to face some transition shock under a subheading under that transition is called culture shock. That's when you go from one culture to another culture and another language. You're adjusting to that. Culture shock's defined as feelings of disorientation due to unfamiliarity. And a lot of times that, that disorientation can produce stress and anxiety. Even if you're a laid back guy like I am, I'm pretty laid back, but culture shock, it's going to affect everybody. And so what are some ways during your first term that you knew this, this is culture shock? Share some experiences maybe of culture shock that you guys experienced, your wife, maybe your family. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the stages of culture shock, what to avoid when you're learning to deal with culture shock and then um, how you can overcome it. So what were some of the things that you dealt with and do you still deal with culture shock? Yeah, so this is kind of the meat of our episode today. So we're gonna camp here a little bit and let me just put this out there as a disclaimer right away. I love living in the Dominican Republic. I love the Dominican people. Um, this is and by no means trying to run down the culture because I actually do love living here. And in no way do I think the US has got it all figured out uh, we certainly have <laughs> many faults and problems. In fact, I have loved living in this culture where there are many things that the, the United States has backwards that Dominican has right. And so, uh, but that but that being said, it is so true what Josh said that when you switch places in life, whatever whatever kind of transition that is, whether it be language, culture, there are shocks to our system, and every shock is different. You know, me talking about living in a Caribbean island is going to be severely different than Josh in, uh, you know, Western Africa. Uh, so, but we all still have to understand they are shocks to our system and we have to deal with them because if we don't deal with them properly, we're going to have burnout, we're going to have problems, uh, our family's going to be affected, our ministry is not going to be as, uh, as blessed. And so for us personally, some of the things we dealt with in the very beginning, and this was really right off the bat, this was difficult for me, was dealing with people who weren't completely honest with you. Uh, I remember when we were going through the situation with our container, going over the manifest inside the office. Now, the lawyer's doing all the work. I'm sitting on the side, but I know enough Spanish that I understand what's being, being said, and I'm looking through this manifest. You know, this manifest has things on it that they're trying to, to put tax on that simply we didn't ship. I, I just don't understand how, how are these things on this manifest. And my lawyer friend's trying to explain to me it doesn't matter You've, you've applied for your visa, so you're not going to have to pay anything. So it doesn't really matter what's on the list. Well, I'm, gonna, I'm a dumb American. We're very detail-oriented. I don't understand. This is not truth, you know. And so that was a very difficult thing to get adjusted to. I remember on a survey trip calling up a hotel, asking if they had hotel rooms. And the girl who responded said, no, we're all full. I was like, wow, that's a big hotel. They're full of rooms. Okay. Well, right before we left the town, I called back again just to make sure so we didn't have to go to another town to stay the night. And that some gentleman answered. He said, no, there's hardly anybody here. Come on. You know, that person just didn't want to work that day. I just wasn't used to people who would lose your business 
who just simply didn't want to work sometimes. This is certainly not always the case, but you find these situations where people won't always deal with you honestly. And I don't think it has anything honestly to do with being an American or not. It really just has to do sometimes in the culture of not telling the truth. And so that was very difficult. Uh, for anybody who's ever driven in most foreign countries, one of the most difficult things for us is driving. Driving in another country, dealing with other drivers. Um, anybody who's been the Dominican knows it is known for very, very fast uh, driving motors going from each side. Uh, it can be very, very difficult and stressful. When I drive for the capital about two hours away, driving down there and coming back, especially major metro cities, is more stressful to me than when I drive between Georgia and West Virginia, a 12-hour drive. I am way more relaxed, and mostly because of just the type of driver you are encounter. So that is a big adjustment. Thankfully, I think we've chilled out with it over the years. I have seen missionaries who have put their lives in jeopardy because they could not handle how other people were driving. They would chase them down in their cars. They would throw bottles at them. I mean, this really happened, and it's something you have to deal with and understand that you have to work on your anger. And so that, with the, uh, the other thing that's just basic mm -hmm. for most missionaries that is a hard shock is the lack of options for convenience. Um, obviously, living in Africa, living in, uh, you know, really rustic areas, you know, are much more different than living in a developed country like even I live in. But I think as missionaries, we understand sacrifice is part of the, part of the, part of the deal, part of the signing up to serve the Lord. But still, when you actually have to do without those things, there's a cultural shock, not having the Walmart close, not having the Lowe's or the Home Depot where you can go get these parts that you need. Um, those are normal things. And then lastly, the things that we still deal with are governmental and administrative red tape. Those kinds of systems are built. Listen, they're built to discourage you from doing what you want to do. They're trying to get you discouraged so you won't fill up their offices. And so my encouragement is understand that's part of the process and try to surround yourself with good people, professionals that can help you along because you will be frustrated and you need people to help guide you along. So there's, there's all of that. Uh, involved and, and I'm interested to know some of the things that you experienced Josh when you first there's got so there. many little details that begin to add up and and contribute to what could be defined as culture shock some of you don't even realize you know is is part of your experience there's really four commonly recognized stages of cultural ad adaptation and culture shock can hit at any one of these stages some of them are more blatant than others. And um, there's a few stages that I knew this was kind of a shock to my system and it's producing stress in my life. But the four stages are really commonly recognized as the first stage, the honeymoon stage. That's really your first. For some people, it's the first month you're in the country. Sometimes it lasts the whole year that you're in the country. And um, sometimes it's like one week and you're done with the, you know, the honeymoon stage. Then it moves into the frustration stage. Um, a lot of missionaries find themselves in this stage uh, regularly, okay, depending on what country you're in. Then you move from there to the adjustment stage. 
uh, where you're learning to adjust to the differences and the frustrations. And then as you adjust, the final stage is the acceptance stage. And I asked my wife last night as I was prepping for this podcast, I said, what, what stage do you think you're at? And I read them off to her. She said, well, definitely not the honeymoon stage. That was gone a long time ago. But she said, I I'd have to say it's all three of the fi- the last three stages. You're you're kind, and I agree. It's you're always in this cycle of being in one of those three stages. Now, I'll be honest. Our first term, and I won't get into too many details because we're going to go over this in another episode, uh, which would be covering relationships and working with coworkers and other missionaries. But there there were issues, you know, with with some of what we dealt with more on the missionary side of just learning to develop a team that it almost overshadowed some of the culture shock aspects. And I really didn't face what I could palatably define as real culture shock until our second term. Uh, And I'll share that story in a minute. But I guess our first big experience was getting our container out. You know, you're going through all the red tape and me just... I just kind of, I approach things real simply, you know, it's just, this is their way of doing it. So I'll just accept it. What's the big deal. All right. It's just the way of doing it. I met, I've, I've run into a lot of missionaries where their personality is just, you know, I know a better way of doing it and they're going to get so frustrated if you, if <laughs> nobody else sees it that way, you know what I mean? And so you, yeah, you've got to try to set that aside or you're going to always be in the frustration stage. Um, driving is the same thing. I was thinking about, you know, as we're prepping for this episode, I'm driving home the other day and a guy pulls out right in front of me, looks right at me and pulls out in front of me. I had to slam on my brakes and he just gives me a thumbs up. And I just smiled and said, yeah, okay, just move on. You know, I, I gotta, I'm in the acceptance stage right now, you know, so I'm not going to get upset or anything. It's just the way it is. And so, in fact, my, my uncle, he came a few years back on a construction trip and he, he drove professionally for a living. He would drive big trucks. And so I said, Hey, I need somebody to go back and forth from the work site to our home and bring bricks in my truck can you do that? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, you're a professional driver. You can do this. He made the first trip back and, and a missionary we work with, their eldest son went with them so he could give directions. He gets back, gets out of the car and says, Josh, don't ever make me do that again. I, th- oh this is insane. How do you oh do my. this? I thought, well, I guess you just adjust. You, you <laughs> learn to live with it. It is, it is nuts. But uh, I remember getting our container out and it was so complicated that we had a um, we had a scooter that we were importing. They said we weren't allowed to import it because it 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 was over a hundred uh, fifty cc, unless it was brand new. I said, well, there's only about twenty five miles on this thing. It's it's brand new. Like it's we just rode it around a couple times. We you know it's brand new scooter. They're like, no, you're gonna have to pay taxes on it. Basically eighty percent tax. So I went and paid the taxes and then I went back into the custom agent and he said, okay, where's your receipt? I showed him the receipt. He said, yeah, we're still going to confiscate it. I'm like, are you kidding me? What? And I mean, just, we found out later and I remember it was stressing my wife out because the day they unloaded our container to check everything and to confiscate the scooter, Julie said, when they pull it out, just kick it in the ocean. Don't let them have it. I said, well, there's a chance we might be able to get it back. Well, we never got it back. But oh, we, wow. we found out later, though, that 
that custom agent's wife worked for a mission. She was caught stealing and was fired by that mission. And we were the first missionaries that this custom agent dealt with. And so he, he threw the book at us. And so we just happened to be the victims of, you know, his, his uh, wrath there. But it, again, it was, it was a stressful. It's like, why, why is this happening? Why is it, why are we doing it this way? Um, but really our first term, yeah, a lot, I don't, I can't say we faced a lot of culture shock because again, I came to Senegal expecting it to be bad and, and it was okay. It's, it's not the greatest place to live. Uh, now the people are amazing and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Cause I, I want to get to, here's, here's what I've noticed. Okay. I've seen this in my own life and I've seen this in other missionaries that there's this there's this tendency as you're dealing with the frustration, getting to the adjustment stage and then learning to accept this is the way things are. Okay. I'll give you another example of acceptance. All right. Whenever I went to a hospital, you have to buy all of your prescription medicine before you're treated. And if it's in the middle of the night and it's an emergency and their pharmacy on campus doesn't have the medicine, you have to drive around town finding a pharmacy that's open, buy the medicine and then bring it so they can do whatever emergency procedure needs to be done. And I've, I've had a few moments of stressed out trying to find this pharmacy, you know, in the middle of the night just to, you know, save a kid's life. You know, it just, wow. it's, it's nonsense. But when you get into line mm. to buy, to pay, there's no such thing as a single file line, except now with COVID, actually, with social distancing, that has helped a little bit, okay? If anything good, anything good came out of COVID, it was people now stand in a single file line. But before it wasn't like that. You would just rush the counter, and I am my polite, trying to be a polite um, maybe it's the Canadian influence because I went to Canada. Okay. Not, not being a, you know, boisterous American, but the polite Canadian side training in me, I didn't want to, you know, cut in line. So I would try to stand in line and I just, every time people would cut in, they'd butt in, they'll push you over and they're not being rude. They're just not, that's just the way they do it. And it took me about till my third term when I had to go pay for something, it was an emergency and I thought, you know what? This is the way it is here. I'm just going to do as they do. And I just butted my way in. I'm a tall guy, just pushed everybody out of the way. And nobody got mad at me. They're like, well, okay, good for you, guy. You know, good for you. That's yeah. the way we do it here. And so it's learning <laughs> to get to that acceptance stage where, all right, I'm not going to wait in line. I'm not going to be rude, but I'm just going to do what they do here. I'm going to accept that some people are going to cut me. And sometimes I'm going to cut somebody. It's just the way we do things here. Now, how do you get to the acceptance stage, okay? And ha have you seen this tendency or maybe this temptation in your own life that maybe you get to the acceptance stage, but you're bitter about it? Or maybe, and I've seen this in some missionaries, where they develop what I would call a cultural superiority complex. Not, not, a, not a racist thing. They don't look down on the, the people, they don't look down on, you know, the individuals. So they're, they're not like, uh, you know, you're a different skin color, you're a diff different ethnicity, so you're inferior to me. But it's, it's this complex. I've seen some foreign workers and missionaries develop that our way of doing things is superior. And these people, while I've accepted the way these people do things, 
we're still, we have a better way of doing it. And it's, it has nothing to do with viewing the individual as a lesser, but you're looking at the way of life as lesser. And that comes out though, in the way that you interact with people, um, people interact. Have you, have you had that tendency at all in, in the way things are to get to the acceptance stage? How do you avoid either getting bitter toward the culture and the way things are, or how do you avoid that superiority complex culturally in the way you do things? Has that been experienced? Have you seen that in your time as a missionary? Uh, absolutely. We've seen it and we've experienced it and we've been examples of it, unfortunately, sometimes. And I think <laughs> with prayer and fasting is probably the first answer. Uh, <laughs> right. You have to understand that it, it, this is real. Now, I will say, let me add a little bit of something. Uh, and this is something one day forever. Uh, if we're ever uh, strong enough to tackle something like this, I unfortunately have met missionaries where you might say that race did come into it. So I want to just be very careful to say we have to be very careful of that. And uh, people have had to basically stand up and say, hey, I don't, I don't think you're responding to that correctly, and that might have to do something your 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 beliefs. You need to work on that. Hmm. But it is true that a lot of times, most times, it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with the background you had and how you're experiencing this new stage of life. And one of the ways I want to prove that is because I have now seen something after 12 years that I never thought I would see before, and other Dominicans have shared this with me. It's called double culture shock, mm. where the Dominicans themselves, who have grown up maybe till 10, 11 years old uh, in the Dominican Republic, in this case, they'll go back to America or some other developed country. They will get used to the conveniences and the way of life. It doesn't have to be America. It can be England. It can be Spain. It can be someplace like that. Then they come back to the Dominican Republic later in life, and they're very frustrated, basically to the point of leaving. A lot of times it has nothing to do with even the way that people are. It's just how life is. You know, the power goes out often, or not be able to get the conveniences they want. And so they get what they call the double culture shock, and they leave and go back to their developed country. And so it's not just Americans that experience this, American missionaries. This is something that everyone who changes cultures can experience. Now, one of the ways... We have tried to personally deal with it. One is to be very honest about situations and understand that, you know, it's kind of like your family. Uh, when you're married, you understand how wonderful your family is that you came from, your wife's family, your family, and that there are wonderful things to, to reflect on and, and, and be happy for. But you understand your family's not perfect. And so you choose to accept the wonderful things and say, because of these disadvantages, I have to work harder at these. It's the same thing, I think, with culture shock. It's like we're going to take the wonderful things of this culture and realize some of these parts we're never going to change. I think some Americans just felt they could change it. And it's like, no, listen, (laughs) this is how it is. You have to learn to deal with it. One missionary told me something that I still remember today, and I think it's really good. It has to do with furloughs, and we'll talk about furloughs on another time. But he said, I stay as long as I can before I'm so basically fed up and I got to get out of here for a little while. And he, it's, for him, it was about 18 months to two years. He'd go home, recalibrate, renew, get, get some Chick-fil-A or whatever. And then he said, usually after about a month or two, I'm like, oh, I miss those people. I got to go back there and serve. You know? And so it's funny. It's kind of like that exhaust pipe that you have to release the pressure. And you have to find that pressure. Understand it's true. It will build up. You've got to do it spiritually, understanding God's called you there but also understanding that it's a reality that you need to deal with. There are bad realities. Obviously, you don't, you don't accept bad things in the culture. You preach against them. But if some of it's just the way the culture is and how they maneuver and do things. My wife was explaining to me one thing 
because we were talking about this beforehand as well. The way that Dominicans clean their homes is different than Americans in the sense that because most floors are tiled floors, they're not rugs and things like that, they will put as much water as you can imagine on the ground. <laughs> yeah. And they put it on the walls. And they and my wife, she went crazy, like, whoa, what are they doing? They're going to ruin it. That was their way. And it took a while for us to realize, you know, if you're not ruining things, it's just a different way to how to do things. You need to learn to adapt to it. And so I think all of missionary life is learning to adapt to things. If there are things that are obviously against God's word, you should stand up and try That's one of the reasons God's called you to be salt and light there. But if it's just a difference, you need to learn to adapt and not be frustrated uh, if you can to it. And just learn to roll with the punches and say, God, you've called me to learn how to live in this place and declare your name. Absolutely. And if you if you approach it, maybe you're a, a young missionary, you just raise support, learn the language and you're you're spiritual. OK, <laughs> you you're going to take a spiritual approach and in your heart and mind, you know, I am going to love everything about this culture. OK, <laughs> if you're thinking that way, you're setting yourself oh, up boy. for a fall. Yikes. OK, um, because one of the big issues and why so many people leave is because of dis disillusionment. I think when you set expectations for yourself that are just unrealistic and then you don't meet those expectations, uh, then you're setting yourself up to be disillusioned to what you thought it was going to be like. And when it's not, uh, a lot of people get discouraged and lose really the sense of purpose. And wh what am I here for then? Do I even know what I'm doing? But what you said is so true. You don't approach it with a negative attitude. And I have met missionaries, though, that although they got to the acceptance stage, they just have a negative outlook of the people that they're ministering to. They have just this, they look, it's looking down. It's this, not a superiority, like we're better than they are, but it's just, they do it differently and our way of doing it is better. And so if they would just see it that way and it creates this kind of bitter frustration that you accept it, you're still on the field after all these years, but you're miserable. And I think what you said is true. You just have to accept the truth that there are positives and negatives in both cultures. I told my kids the other day, thank God you don't have to grow up in America right now. It's crazy over there right now. I mean, just yes. I turn Amen. on the news, you open up Twitter, and I mean, it's nuts over there. Everything going on and just the culture wars. <laughs> Those are issues we don't have to face here. And I, I still try to prepare my kids if God leads them to live there. But I told my oldest son, if God leads you to go back and live in the States, you may want to consider going as a missionary because that country needs it. I mean, it, it's bad. But that the point is there's positives and negatives in, in every culture. You learn to, to, to really accept that. And I wrote down three things that I think if you practice these principles and it's going to lead us into our final two questions as we're talking about our first term, but really three ways that you can overcome bitterness or overcome developing a sense of cultural superiority. And I think number one is embrace the difference. Learn to embrace the positives of the culture in which you're living, uh, the great things. One thing I love about uh, this culture, okay, where we're at in Northern Africa, is we're very close to the culture of Jesus' day. I mean, we're this is an old school wow culture where so much I'm, I'm telling you what after living here for 12 plus years the bible has come so much more alive in passages that have 
deep cultural roots in order to properly understand them. Um, it's just come so much more alive. I'll give you an example of uh, uh, in embracing the difference, you can really grow spiritually too. Um, when Malik Job, the pastor of our church, when he was going to get married, first he had to get his father and future father-in-law's permission. He had to negotiate a dowry. I think it was like five, uh, maybe 10 chickens, a pig, and, and maybe a calf or something. Like there was all this stuff he had to negotiate. And then once he had the wedding date set, he had to prepare his house to receive his bride. And everybody here lives communally. You don't, when you become 18, you don't go off on your own. Everybody just builds on an added room to their father's house. And so in order to receive his bride, we helped Malik build a bedroom and a living room area so that he could have a place. And it was all in his father's house. Brother's got a place in his father's house. His, his, Dad has his area, and then Malik has his area. It's all his father's house, but he has this room so he could receive his bride. And John, the gospel of John just came alive right. as I'm reading it one day and put those two together that Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. In other words, Jesus wasn't, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, Jesus said, the, the room is already set. A lot of times I would read that in American mindset and think, well, Jesus is up there building a house for me. He's building a big mansion and uh, he's going to come and call me and take me to my mansion. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's already enough room for you in my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Where he was going to prepare the place was the cross. That's how he prepared the way for us to go to God's presence. And it just came alive because we were living that aspect of the culture. We're living it and it just made the Bible come alive. So if you learn That's to right. embrace those differences, it just, there's not just great uh, cultural aspects that can benefit you and, and enrich you, but there is so much, even spiritually, that you can gain and grow from. And so the first thing I would say is, embrace the difference um, secondly celebrate the wisdom of the culture that you're working in uh, what are some things i'm throwing this on you i didn't send this to you earlier but anything offhand that you can think of in the dominican republic that they do okay. that you would say why don't we do this in america why don't we do this in our culture i'll give you a minute to think of that but is there anything in the wisdom of the Dominican culture that you're like, why aren't we doing this over here? Can you think anything offhand? Yeah, I, I think one of the things I enjoy mostly is how they respect um, their authorities as far as in their, in their family structures, how they, they, all, they do try to include everybody. That's one of the things I think as a church planning missionary, uh, even to this day that I'm, I'm not as good at is, is you know, the delegation, getting everyone involved, making them feel part of the team, uh, we kind of, you know, maybe it's that, that pioneering spirit as a missionary used to doing it all. They really, there's a lot of wisdom in including everybody into a project and getting everybody to be part of a community. They're very much a communal society. And so I love all those wisdom, uh, the wisdom that there is in that and have everyone feel like they're a part of it. Because if one person or two people are doing the work, you're kind of just sitting back and being a spectator. So those are one of the things right off the bat that I learned. Dominicans like to pitch in and help. They like to help. People, even if they're, you know, they're very generous. They don't have a lot of money, 
but they will give the shirt off your back. And so those are some of the things that I learned, maybe, maybe wisdom as much as just the personality. That's something I love about Definitely. Them. So as you learned as, you know, you embrace those differences, you accept them, then you celebrate the wisdom and you celebrate the positive aspects. I would say the same thing here. The emphasis that is placed on the family unit um, is, is there's so many advantages to that. And uh, we celebrate that. We love that aspect. And then I would say thirdly, in order to avoid developing a either critical spirit and superiority complex, culturally speaking, or in order to avoid really a bitter spirit, the last thing I would say is find a healthy outlet for your frustration. Okay, let it out and then learn to laugh about it. All right. You need to relieve that pressure of the frustration, but then you, you got to learn to laugh about it. Because if you don't, that's just going to fester up. And uh, like you said, you've seen missionaries throwing bottles at people, you know, oh cutting them off. Goodness. I've seen missionaries do some awful things. And missionaries are just humans. Missionaries are, are just carnal people as much as everybody else is. All you're doing with a missionary is taking them out of their own culture where there's enough frustrations and putting them in another language and culture where those things are compounded. And so you got to show a little grace with missionaries. And sometimes, you know, they can... And get a little bit uh, ornery with some of the differences. But at the end of the day, you have to learn not only to just, you know, let that out, but you got to learn to laugh about it as well. And so really that that leads into kind of it was our fifth question that we're going to look at. But what are some ways that you as a family find an outlet? Let's say you're you're reaching that stress level. You, you can feel the tension in your family. You still got, it's a year until you can do a trip home to the States to relieve that. What do you do in country? What's some things you do as a family or as, as even just yourself to kind of find an outlet for those pressures and tensions of life on the foreign field? Well, you know, especially early on when things were new and we had less ministry responsibilities, we had one Bible study a week at that time. And, you know, we really tried to explore our country the best we could. Uh, we tried to... Uh, go around, and, and it's obviously a beautiful country, and, and see more of it, learn more about its history. Uh, we tried to, as I mentioned earlier, get to know other missionaries in different parts of the country, learn more about it. Um, I think that's really important to get out, because once you got a full schedule, you're not going to do that very often. So that's a really important part of using that time wisely. Another thing is try to make your home as relaxing and as comfortable as possible. Uh, this is obviously based upon your circumstance, do your best to get the safest home you possibly can. Uh, make that a top priority. Our instance, I haven't talked about this a lot, but when we were in Costa Rica, uh, we were in what we thought was a safe apartment. I came home with some groceries one day. My wife was tied up in the back. They had robbed us of all of our things, and thankfully they didn't hurt her or the baby. Uh, but after that, I dedicated more than ever when we got to the Dominican Republic that we were going to get the safest, uh, when I say nicest, I mean the most secure home that I could provide, and the Lord gave us that a wonderful sanctuary that no matter how difficult the day is out in the streets and doing different things in life, that when we come home, it's just our place. It's a very comfortable setting. We can relax. It can be very American. It doesn't have to be a Dominican home. It can be a very American home because we're Americans. Um, and when Dominicans come into our home, that the expectation is not that we're going to have a Dominican home, that we're going to have an American home. And they love learning about that. And so I think that's a wonderful thing about connecting with another culture, showing them your culture. And, and then another thing I would say, just kind of add at end, end of this point, is don't be afraid to have hobbies and points of interest that you use 
some guys it's golf, some guys it's, you know, like Josh, he's a workout machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but for me, uh, I, I, I love sports. And it's funny, the first couple of years, maybe four or five years even, it was very intense for those who uh, learn another language and they, when they preach it, like you come home exhausted. Your mind is exhausted. You've used up mm-hmm. all of your mental mm-hmm. and your intellectual capabilities and you yep. are just, you're tired. You're, and, and for me, what I would do is I would come home, I would turn the air conditioner on in our very nice family room and I had uh, for, I think it was like $100 a year, you could get the whole NFL package. And that was my Christmas gift the first four years. And even though I don't watch that much NFL now, back then, just watching American football, watching American commercials, it made me feel like I'm back home. I can recharge. This is just normal to me. And for everybody, you've got to find those things. Those are silly things. Now, obviously, spiritually, one of the ways we renew is we invested in ourselves with books and podcasts and, and messages. But that is for your spiritual. There is literally a part of you that needs to have some connections back home just to feel normal. And for me, it was something silly like American football. I don't know what it's going to be for you, listener, listening, but you need to find those things because there's no shame in having a hobby. It shouldn't dominate your life by any means, but there are times when you just need distractions from life that help you reconnect with who you were before you got there. That is 100%. I, I'm 100% behind everything you said. This is more for the man, the missionary, the husband. Make security your number one priority. But then as an outlet, yeah, I remember our director came and he had been a missionary in Africa for several years. And he said, make your home American, make it a getaway. And he even recommended to us, he said, you're going to receive people here into your home. Have a separate receiving area where you can receive them where there's not even access to kind of your sanctuary. You need to be able to have that getaway. And as you're trying to find those ways to to find an outlet, it's not... You're not being unspiritual. Look, if you're going to get carnal and and blow your lid and get all upset and, and have anger issues over the culture, find some sort of, you know, it may not be spiritual, but find something as an outlet. Do you enjoy football, you know, baseball or sports or uh, cooking or, you know, working out? Find a hobby, something that you're not going to throw a bunch of time into it, but something that you can find time to relieve that pressure and just kind of make an escape. Um, and then family time. I, I would just add to that, make deliberate family time. I've interviewed several missionary kids, and we're going to do a whole nother episode on missionary kids. But I interviewed several missionary kids whenever I would preach in a Bible college. And I would ask them, what were some of the things your parents did that caused you to not be bitter and that it attributed to helping you want to serve the Lord in either going back to your field or, you know, going to Bible college and not just, you know, giving up on the Lord and everything. And every one of them, out of all of their answers, they each had this same response. They said, we always had time as a family and specifically, but my father was always approachable. He was always available to us. And that was a big deal. And so I I took that to heart every time I would talk to somebody and I want to make sure my kids know that, that we're doing ministry as a family. This isn't just my ministry. It's the Lord's ministry. And each of us can plug into it as a family to glorify the Lord. My number one students in my discipleship are my kids. If I'm not, if I'm not cultivating and discipling my kids, 
it doesn't matter how many people I disciple here. I want to disciple them and make that a priority. But all that being said, boy, that's good. Have an outlet, find ways that you can relieve some of that stress and that pressure. And as we finish up here, what are some ways, and maybe we can devote another podcast to this because it is an issue. So many missionaries leave the field and don't come back. And so what are some, let's just talk about it generically and then maybe another podcast in the future. We'll get into some details on how to avoid that. But why doesn't a missionary, what would cause him from raising support, learning the language, and then he gets to the field, he spends three to four years, and then he never goes back. I don't think it's God's plan to cause somebody to do that, raise all that support, spend all that time, and then say, well, God's not leading us back. Now, things happen. I get it. But is there, what what contributes to that? And maybe we'll do another episode on how we can avoid that. But what, what would you say? Well, that's a very large subject. I would say, first off, we know that it can be a sin issue or a health issue. We're not talking about that. Obviously, someone falls into sin or there's a health situation. For instance, in our case, we had a teammate who... Uh, one day they found out their two-year-old daughter had a brain tumor and they had to leave two days later and because of circumstances and lack of um, doctor help here, they could never return. So we're not talking about that. We're not talking about when God closed the door or mm-hmm. when you know, sin is involved. We're talking about right. uh, just other circumstances. And there are kind of two right. major ones um, that are affecting missionaries and why they don't come back for the second uh, term. Usually, these are one of the two. I don't know what order you might say they are. One is usually lack of financial support. We spoke about this in our deputation uh, episode, but for whatever reason, many people come to the field significantly undersupported, and this this can cause so many issues. It can cause uh, fears for not providing for your family, um, lack of resources to be able to reach the lost, or even simply rent a space for ministry. And so that can really impact those, and they just feel like they can't properly uh, have the ministry they want. And that's why we make it such a priority when we were encouraging young missionaries, get your support. Uh, maybe veteran missionaries, go back and get more support so you can do the work that God's called you. And so that's that's one of the main reasons. Another reason is usually family problems. It can be problems in a marriage. Uh, a lot of times it can be problems with younger kids, maybe teenagers. A lot of times it's very difficult to take a teenager from America where they've known uh, their friends and their family and their environment, and to put them in uh, another world where they have to learn a language, uh, learn to get more friends. That's a very difficult transitional time in life. And a lot of families, um, for whatever reason, maybe they aren't properly prepared by their mission board or just simply it's just difficult. I mean, it's just it, you can do all the preparation you want, but until you actually face it, it's just difficult. And so uh, that can be a problem and not knowing how to adjust to that life, um, to be very homesick. And so these are obstacles we know that are present. And so maybe uh, as veteran missionaries who have seen this happen in people's lives, we can encourage you, understand if you have teenagers, understand that uh, if you're dealing with some issues with your wife, maybe not as excited about the mission field as you are, these are going to be issues you need to work through ahead of time and maybe have some plans in mind. Maybe the, the first Christmas uh, you can have some fun set aside where you'll go back and see family real quick. It won't be a full furlough. I know that doesn't always work for people who are far, far away and the, the cost is very large. But there are ways you can maybe see ahead of time and talk to veteran missionaries how they dealt with times away and uh, get some wisdom and how to properly prepare your family the best you possibly can. It's not going to be easy. Uh, but knowing that these are the two greatest 
causes for missionaries not going back for the second term can help you kind of look ahead. And then sometimes it can also be from slow or non-growth of a ministry. Uh, and that can be from lots of reasons. It could be um, just simply lang- lack of language acquisition. It also could be the bad location for your church or just not properly understanding the socioeconomic um, situation where you're ministering. So that's the more practical. But I would say the two main reasons are family problems and uh, lack of financial support. So make sure you are properly preparing for both. Well, that's so important. And I think, yeah, at a later episode, we'll look more deeply into that because uh, there are, I think there's, there's some issues like, for example, we did language school in Quebec and we can talk about this another time, but, um, you know, we spent a year and a half in Quebec and our mission director, he frowned on it. He didn't really want us to go there. He said, I'd rather you go to, uh, you know, France. And part of his reasoning, he said, is, you know, this is Julie's home country. I, I think she'll be too close to home. And the honest truth was we get to Quebec and one of the subtleties of culture shock in a place like Quebec is she's Canadian. Quebecers are Canadian, but it's a whole nother world in Quebec. It's a whole nother culture. And she felt more. And I think it was because you have certain expectations because everybody's the same, you know, same color as you and everything's the same. It looks the same, the same stores, the same, you know, everything's the same. But it's night and day difference with the culture and the worldview and the way people think. And I think actually my wife struggled more with culture shock in Quebec than she did in Senegal because she knew Senegal is a third world country. What else do you expect in certain ways of living? I mean, this is just the way it is. And I think for Julie, it was easier for her to accept living in a place like Senegal than it was even Quebec. I've really enjoyed this discussion. There's so much more we could add, but we've reached a little bit beyond an hour of discussion and we could just keep going. There's other stories we'd share, but we'll leave that for another time. But I hope I hope this has been a help. I know different things, Eric, you've been sharing has, has helped me and encouraged me that, uh, you know, some of the things we did, we did right. And some of the things, if I had to do it over again, maybe I'd do it over again. But we're always in that stage of, learning to love the culture, loving the people, uh, maintaining compassion for the people we're ministering to, embracing the differences, and then just moving forward for the work of God. And so uh, if you've been blessed out there, if, if this has been an encouragement to you, or if you know of a missionary who's raising support, or maybe they're just about to go to their field for their first term, why don't you share this episode with them, send it to them, and uh, let them know that uh, you're praying for them. And here's some ideas from two guys who mostly learn from experience. And, and I think there's two things that helped us, Eric. Would you say we listened to people who knew what they were doing, and then we just learn from experience. And uh, if you'll listen to people who've been there before, and then you just let God guide you in your experience and keep a humble and joyful spirit about you, you'll get through your first term, no problem, and you'll be ready to knock out that second term.